I don't even know what you do with any of that. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, we're so glad you're here. If you're a visitor, uh, we are in this spook series. So we did this video series. So you're probably like, what is going on there? They all fit together. Uh, and so Kyle's been a great sport about it. And so uh, that's kind of what's going on. Uh, come back in two weeks. It's going to be normal again, I promise. And so, uh, but no, we're so glad you were here. One more announcement for you guys. Uh, we do men's pickup basketball games on Sunday nights. It's four to six tonight and the schedule kind of varies. We do that from now all the way through February. So if you're a guy or a gal and want to play basketball with us, Hillview Community Center, if you're young and fast, don't come because we're not going to pass to you. And so, uh, but everybody else is welcome. And so uh, it's just a fun time to get together and have some fun. So we are in the Spook series, and this today, uh, we're going to kind of detour a little bit from kind of the ghost thing and talk about one of the creepier stories for me, but is a fascinating story, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, and when I was a kid, this story, when they taught it to us in kids' church, and you have to be careful with Bible stories, especially with kids, because some of the stories are a little weird and a little odd, as we've discovered in this series. But this one really freaked me out. And so uh, when I was a kid, I was, I'm still not, but I was not a very good swimmer. And so I love the ocean. You hear me talk about it a lot. But like if I'm in water that's, I think it's going to be deep, I'm wearing a life jacket. Me and my wife have this story when we went on our um, honeymoon. We went to this pool uh, to swim in. It was like a waterfall in Jamaica. And so we get to this top, you know, thing and, and we get to the top and the guy's like, oh, you can jump into this pool. And I'm like, you know, my mind, I'm like, I'm not a good swimmer. I don't want to drown on my honeymoon. So like, I was like, do you have a life jacket? And he's like, yeah. So he kind of like gives me a funny look and he puts this life jacket on me. Um, I get up to the pool. I'm the only adult in a life jacket. Number one, uh, true story. Number two, I jump in and I go to stand up. I can touch the bottom. And my wife's just looking at me, like shaking her head, like, what kind of a man did I marry? And so, uh, so anyway, I used to be scared of water. Um, the other thing is, when I was a kid, the movie that scared me the most when I was a child, and I don't know if you guys had this experience, it wasn't Ghost, it wasn't Monsters, um, it was Jaws. Do you guys remember Jaws? And just like being freaked out and scared about this type of thing. And so when I heard this story in church as a kid, it used to freak me out. And it is the story of Jonah. And if you're, most of you guys are probably familiar with the story, if you're new to church, Jonah is the story. And the famous detail of the story of Jonah is that at some point, and we'll cover this today, is that he gets swallowed by a great fish, all right? The Bible does not say, well, you got well from Pinocchio, not the Bible, okay? And so uh, he gets swallowed by this great fish. But what's fascinating is I've started to unpack this story over the years, is this is one of the most fascinating stories in the Bible and there's so much depth and layers to it. And so we're just going to kind of walk through it and we're going to kind of talk what we can learn today. And a scary idea that comes out of this story that's even scarier than the idea of being swallowed by a whale or a fish. So in the beginning, we're starting in the beginning, Jonah chapter 1 verse 1, it says this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. So a little details, Jonah is an Israelite. And so he is, comes out as a prophet. And so prophets are kind of these guys that go out and they talk to people about what God wants them to say, but they're kind of foreshadowing what's going to happen. And, and so there's a lot, most of the Old Testament is written by the prophets. And so this, this is no different. We don't actually know who wrote the story of Jonah. It wasn't Jonah himself. We don't know who the author is. But it's the story that kind of circulates amongst the people about this guy named Jonah. To understand why this is a big deal about Nineveh is you have to understand who Nineveh is. So Nineveh is the city, but the people that live in Nineveh are Assyrians. 
Assyrians and Israelites do not get along. In fact, there's all these conquests that kind of take place in the Old Testament, and sometimes it's the Assyrians behind it. So a couple of just references from the Old Testament that we see that they talk about. Uh, it says in 2 Kings, the king of Assyria invaded the land, so he invades Israel. Later, we see the king of Assyria came and deported all of the people, speaking of the Israelites. And then later, we see the king of Israel marched in against Samaria and laid siege to it. So invaded, deported, and laid siege. These are not the descriptions that you want of somebody, right? These are hard people. Um, These are people that go in and they capture. uh, They eventually conquer the people. They use force and power and violence. The Assyrians are nasty, brutish, violent, oppressive. They are the enemies of Israel. And so now you have this Israelite prophet that's told to go into Nineveh and to preach to these people. And, and you have to understand that, that Jonah's response is kind of like, what? Like Nineveh is our enemy. And you want me to go there and to preach to them. Now, Jonah decides that he's going to do something different. Well, we talked a couple weeks ago when we looked at this other story that sometimes we have a calling in our life and we realize that we have a calling in our life. It gets kind of scary. And this scares Jonah what God is calling him to do to go to Nineveh. But what we're going to find out is the reason he's scared to go is much different than you think. So in, in verse 3, it says this, But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So he gets up, he goes the opposite direction. Now, when I say opposite direction, all right, you got to understand this. So where he's at to Nineveh is not that far. It would be like essentially like going from Kentucky to Tennessee, right? All right, it'd be like just not that far away. What he does is he gets on a ship and he goes to what would be like Vancouver, Canada. Like he's going far away. Like he doesn't want anything to do with this. So he's going in the opposite direction. Now, the other thing that, that Jonah does is that Jonah decides to get on a boat and go out on the sea. So full disclosure, um, I've seen Jaws. I know there are things in the ocean that want to eat you. Okay, and so going and getting on a boat might not be the best idea, right? I remember years ago, me and my wife, we got to go on a cruise, and I remember we went upstairs one night to go on the main deck or whatever it is, and I remember having this feeling, when, if you've ever been on a, a ship like that out in the middle of the ocean, you look to your right, all you see is water. No lights in the distance, nothing, just water. You look to your left, all you see is water. You look to the front, water, to the back, water. And I remember having this feeling of like, if something happened right now, we have no control. Like there's just water all around you. There's things that want to eat you. When you get on a cruise ship, they make you do this drill where you go to like the third floor and they show you how to lose the lifeboats. Nobody's doing that, right? We are all freaking out, right? I've seen the Titanic. Like we're all freaking out, right? All this thing. And, and so water is everywhere. So imagine that you're Jonah. You're trying to run from God and you choose to go get on a boat, not the brightest thing to do, right? And the other thing about water is this, and I've seen this, I've never experienced this, but I've heard stories, and I've heard stories from some of you about being on water, like especially in the ocean and a bad storm coming. 
and just the way that it goes from peaceful and calm to just chaotic so fast. I mean, there's so many things, which is kind of the first point of the story of Jonah, that whenever we run, especially when we run from things we know we should do, now this could be something God's calling you to, or just the reality that there's things in your life you shouldn't be doing, you need to go in the opposite direction. Um, Typically, when we run from what we're supposed to, we almost always run to stupid places, don't we? We always, always go. If we're supposed to go here, we go the total opposite direction. And the way we get to that opposite direction is usually not the smartest thing. And so he goes and he gets on a boat. Now, we saw that he gets on a boat, and this boat is headed to Tarshish, and there's other people on the boat. There's sailors on the boat. Now, more than likely in their day and age, they didn't have specifically like boats that just took you there. More than likely, these are traders of some sort. They're sailors that they're trading some goods from where they are to Tarshish. And so this is like their livelihood. And, and they, Jonah pays him a little bit of money, and so they let him get on the boat. So he gets on the boat. Now, this is the part of the story most of are familiar with. Gets on the boat, gets out on the open water, and sure enough, a storm comes. Here's what it says. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each other cried out to his own God. So important detail, these are not Israelites. These are what they would call pagans. They have all their own gods. And they threw their cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So Jonah gets on a boat, which is a dumb place to run from God. Now he gets on the boat. And here's what's interesting. These men, because they're in this storm because of Jonah, they're now being affected by it. They're throwing their livelihood. They're throwing their cargo overboard, which is another great point, right? Sometimes when we run from what we're supposed to do, not only do we run to dumb places, but we also have to be aware that we're actually hurting the people around us and that other people are being affected by this. So many times we think that we're the only one being affected. And yet here in this story, you have Jonah and now he's affecting other people. He's affecting these guys' livelihood. They're having to throw their cargo, their personal items over into the ocean because they're trying to keep the boat afloat. Meanwhile, while all this is going on, where's Jonah? Jonah's down below taking a nap, which is another great point. Sometimes when we run to dumb places and hurt other people, ready? We're oblivious. We don't even realize what we're doing. And we're hurting people and causing all kinds of carnage that we don't even realize. Well, eventually the storm gets so bad and there's so much chaos above that eventually Jonah wakes up and he goes on board and he sees these guys. And so they're trying to figure out what's going on. And their first question, because they believe this is how the world works, is whose God's been offended? Which God's been offended? Who's done this to cause this to happen to us? And eventually Jonah speaks up. And here's what he says in verse 9. He answered, I am a Hebrew... And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Notice that. Who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? So Jonah, you believe that your God is the God that created the sea and the dry land, okay? And you chose to get on a boat, right? Like, because in their world, if you create, you control. And so you have offended your God who created and controls the sea, and you got on a boat. What have you done? And, and so there's kind of this commotion above, and eventually they do is they cast lots, which is this way of like, it's kind of like a gambling game, but they cast lots to see who it is. And of course, it comes up on Jonah again. And, and so eventually, Jonah says to these guys, says, listen, the only way to stop this is just to throw me overboard. Just, just get rid of me. And so after some kind of talking and, and to the much reluctance, they take Jonah 
and they throw him overboard. Now, important detail, Jonah would rather be dead at the bottom of the sea than continue his journey to Nineveh. And so some questions to start arising as you read this story. Like, what's going on? Like, there's got to be something else going on. And then if we get to verse 16, it's not going to come up. But what's fascinating is after they throw him overboard, the, the sea calms. All of a sudden, it says the men greatly feared the Lord, even though they're safe now. But they greatly feared the Lord because of the power that they saw that he had. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And so if you're taking this ancient story, a couple of things you got to break apart is number one, you have the prophet who now is willing to die rather than do what God wants. So he looks like a pagan and now the pagans are starting to look more like worshipers of God. And so what's going on in this story? So Jonah gets thrown overboard. Now, this is the part of the story that most of us are familiar with. It takes place in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Now, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, for most of us, this is where the story ends. We know that eventually, if you've been familiar with the story, eventually he's going to get vomited up on the shore, okay? Which is just a, a great story in the Bible, a guy getting vomited out of a fish. But, but we wake up. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I was growing up, I had a lot of problems with this story. The first problem I had was obviously as a child, I was scared of the ocean and the things that swim in the ocean. So that kind of terrified me. But the same thing is I got older and started to break this part, story apart. The detail that really I couldn't just get around was, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And my official response was, how? Right? Like, I'm a man of science. Like, I love science. All right? And here's what I know. You guys and me, and so do the fish in the ocean, we have these, this stuff in our, our, our bellies called acid, right? And acid eats away at things and kills things. Have you ever watched fish? They swallow other fish whole, right? And the fish dies. Like, it's, I mean, it's just insane. Like, the ocean is scary. That's my point, all right? So, you know, you have this. And, and so I'm sitting there and I'm like, how does a guy survive inside the belly of a fish for three days and three nights? And I got really hung up on it. And maybe for some of you, you get hung up on this. Now, I'm not going to argue today one side or the other, and I'm not going to talk about hyperbole, although if you want to know about Bible and hyperbole, take our What is the Bible class next year. But, but here's what I want to say. What if the biggest detail that we've made the story about, which is the fish, doesn't even matter? What if this story is much bigger and grander and the fish is just a small detail? Do you know the fish is one verse out of four chapters, four brilliantly written chapters of this story. It's such a small part of the story. So, so what happens is, is that after these three days and three nights, whether you believe that that really happened or it's metaphor or hyperbole for something, we don't know. And we may never know the full details of this. But what we know is that eventually after this period of time, Jonah again gets vomited up onto the shore. And so he's up on the shore and so now he's like, all right, now what you have to understand too is during this three-day period where he's in this fish, Jonah repents, right? And you would too, right? Because you're like, I'm inside of a fish, right? Maybe I should have done what God said. So he repents and he kind of gets on his heart that he wishes he would have done it differently. You can read this in Jonah chapter two. He wishes he understands now the greatness of God and all that, which it's like if you're in the belly of a fish because of God, you might change your tune a little bit. So he's in there. He gets vomited up. Now he's got to do something. 
So after all of this, he finally decides that he's going to go to Nineveh. So he goes to Nineveh, and he goes to the city, and he starts to preach. He starts to preach this message. And here's what he says. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's not a very good sermon, right? It's a pretty bad one. And it's just this one guy out there just saying this. It's pretty short. It's kind of doom and gloom. And he starts preaching this. And all of a sudden, people start to hear it. And people start to respond. And eventually in this story, you can read it in Jonah chapter 3. I'm kind of paraphrasing it. The whole city repents. These wicked, nasty, horrible people, they hear this really simple sermon, 40 days and the Nineveh is going to be destroyed, and they repent of it. They repent so hard, you can look this up, they make the animals repent. I don't even know how that works, you make an animal repent, but they make the animals repent for their sins as well. And you would think... If Jonah walks into a city after everything that he's been to, after being almost drowned in the ocean, after seeing God's power, after living in the belly of a, of a fish for three days, I don't even know how that works, and now he goes and he preaches the worst sermon ever and the whole city repents, you'd think he might be a little bit excited, right? But maybe what we're about to see is what the story is really about. And maybe what we're about to see next, because this is the part of the story that none of us ever get to, because we get stuck on the fish. Maybe this isn't just a story for them, but it's also a story for us. Chapter 4, verse 1, after all of this has transpired, everything that's happened to Jonah, listen to what it says. This change of plans, which the change of plans is God decides because the city repented, he's no longer going to destroy and kill everybody which is generally good news, right? The change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. And now you're going to find out why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. And it wasn't because he was scared. So he complained to the Lord, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this? This is why I ran to Tarshish, not because I was scared of Nineveh, Because I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love, and you are eager to turn your back from destroying the people, and I didn't want you to. I wanted to see them suffer. I wanted to see them have to live with the consequences of what they've done. That's why he didn't want to go. These were his enemies. And he knew how good God was, and he didn't want God to save them. And now all of a sudden, who cares about the fish? Because now it's a story about the heart. Flash forward 2,000 years. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? Now, you have to understand that Jonah is an Israelite. So in most of what we understand about ancient Israel and the Jewish faith comes out of the Old Testament. Now, when we say commandments, we think of 10. We make all this big deal about them still being in schools and courthouses and all this stuff. And that doesn't matter. Just trust me. But here's the thing. They think it has to be 10. It's actually not 10. It's 613. And it's not actually even 613 because that's not including the Midrash, which is about another three to 4,000 rules, commands, and laws that these people had to follow. And Jesus says, ready, you ready for this? Why don't you take all of that 
and reduce it down to two. And Jesus says, okay, I can do that real easy. And in fact, before he dies in John chapter 13, he actually reduces it down to one. And here's what he says, ready? Love God, love people. To which the people reply, well, okay, which people? Because that's what we would say, right? I can love people, but which people, right? Like if you tell me I have to be really nice to 50 people tomorrow, 50 people, no problem. Tell me who they are. 51, tough luck, all right, right? Like I can do this. You tell me exactly who I have to love and I can do it. And so Jesus takes this moment and he says, okay, do you want to know who you're supposed to love? Well, I'm going to tell you a story because that's what he does. And he breaks into the story of the Good Samaritan, right? We're all familiar with the story. What you may not be familiar with is the details. The Samaritans and the Israelites hated each other. They considered each other enemies. In fact, Israelites said that the Samaritans were just a little bit below the dogs. And by the way, they didn't love dogs like we love dogs, okay? So this wasn't a compliment, right? This was an insult. They hated them. And Jesus's point is, if you're going to love God and love people, the people that I'm talking about loving is your enemy. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> he shakes up the Israelite world and he, he says, you, you know what you're supposed to do if you're a follower of God? He says, you have to learn to love your enemy and wish good upon them. Which nobody wants to do, by the way, right? This is by far the hardest teaching of Jesus. Forget everything else, love your enemy. And the reason you're supposed to love your enemy is because God does. To which you might respond, no, he doesn't, right? But he does. In fact, Paul takes it even a step further. In Romans chapter 5, what he says is, while we, speaking of the Christians, were still enemies of God, God chose, it was a choice, to love us. So if your response is, well, God doesn't love those people, God doesn't want me to love those people, if that's your response, then you haven't been paying attention, and not to me, you haven't been paying attention to the story. And maybe that's why a few hundred years before Jesus ever walks onto the scene, this story starts to circulate about this ancient prophet named Jonah. A story not about a fish, but a story about the heart of a man who represented a people. See, what you have to understand is by the time the story unfolds, from Genesis all the way up until Jonah gets on the boat, it's the story of Israel. Now, Israel, you may not realize this, was supposed to be God's chosen people, to be a light to the world to show the redeeming love of God. That was their original mission. The promise to Abraham is that all people will be blessed through what I'm doing to and with you. Now, by the time the story comes around in Jonah, you've got to understand, they haven't lived up to that calling. And this is not a warning just for the Israel of old. It's also a warning for us today. Because we are supposed to be the light of the world. A calling that we haven't lived up to very well ourselves. And so what if this story is much deeper than we ever realized? What if there's some great questions that lurk beneath the surface of the story of Jonah? Like, can you actually love people you don't like? Can you actually help those who don't believe what you believe? And are you willing to forgive even your worst enemy and hope that God can still bless even them? Let me ask you, what's harder? To believe that there might be a miraculous fish out there that a guy could live in for three days or to actually love your enemy? 
Which one's tougher? This story demands what is called non-dual awareness. It's this idea that most of us, when we think about things, we think about it in dualistic terms. Good, bad, right, wrong, right? And we do this with people. We think of good people and bad people, sinners and saints. What the Bible has this unique thing of doing sometimes, especially in this story, is to evaporate those categories. Remember in chapter 1, you have the pagan sailors who look more like Christ or more followers of God, and you have the prophet who looks more like a pagan. And now you've got these, these people, these Assyrians, these Ninevites, that hear the simplest message of God, a message that most of us in this room, if we would have heard, we'd be like, what are you talking about? They hear this message, and the whole city repents. What this story does is it blasts our biases and labels the peace people with certain sides and certain things, and it points to a different direction. It eradicates the idea of us and them. The story is about a guy who sees himself as us. We're Jonah, by the way. That's who we represent or who represents us, becoming furious with how kind God has been to them. And here's the thing you have to realize. For all of us in this room, there's a them, right? We all, we don't think of enemies because that's a weird word to use today. But some of us maybe you're like, yeah, I got some enemies, right? But, but most of us have people we don't like, people we don't trust. If we were honest, what's lurking beneath the surface of our heart and lurking beneath the surface of Jonah's heart is there's all of us have people in our life that, that we don't want to see God be kind to. We don't want to see God do good things for and so maybe the reason that Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh is the same reason that some of us don't want to go to people that we know. Is it possible for us to actually love even our enemies? Is it possible for us to live up to the calling that God has called us to, even if it requires you to go there and to be kind to them? Now, one more illustration that comes from this book. So Jonah, he's setting out there, and he, he, after he re- said he repents, he goes east of Nineveh. And so he's sitting there, and, and the way the, the writer paints the picture, it's almost like he's sitting east of Nineveh, looking back on Nineveh. Now, his work is done. He, he doesn't have to do anything else. And so the question is, why is he sitting out there roasting under the sun? Some commentators ask the question, like, is he waiting for them to mess up again? You ever have that? Like, I'm okay with them getting right with God or being good, but I know they're going to blow it. And you're just waiting. And you're just there just to pick up the phone and be, can you believe they did it again? Yeah, can you believe it? Is he just waiting for them to mess up again? Or, or, or maybe he's like some, maybe he's sitting there and he's secretly hoping that God will still really destroy them. Regardless, he's sitting out there and he, he's roasting in the sun. And the Bible says that, that God sends him a plant. And so this plant starts to grow up, and it's, it's a fairly large plant. And so this, this plant starts to give him shade. And so it makes Jonah happy because now he can sit there and he can watch whatever he's waiting for. And, and he, he's shade. He's been protected. He's been taken care of. And so then the Bible says the next day God sends a worm. And the worm starts to eat away at the plant. And over time, between the connection of the worm eating away at the plant and the hot sun bearing down on the plant, the plant dies. And Jonah loses it. I mean, he gets furious. And so God takes this moment and he says this, verse 9. But God said to Jonah, 
Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. A little dramatic, but... But the Lord said, and here is the part that I think that steps out of the pages from over 25 to 3,000 years ago and comes right to us today. But the Lord said, you have been more concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? Jonah gets so upset about this plant. I mean, so angry because God let this plant die. And he could have cared less about the city. All of these people who God created and God loves. Jonah would rather deal with this battle over here and this argument over here and this little plant over here than deal with the real problem at hand. And the reason I think this is so important is because today, as Christians, me included, we have lost sight of what really matters. And we're so busy over here arguing about the plant that doesn't even matter. God's like, it's not even your plant. It came, it died, it's gone. Why are you so concerned about this? We get so hung up on all of this stuff that we forget about the real concern of God, which is the people, the people that he loves, the people that you consider to be an enemy, the person that you don't like because they don't see the world the way that you do, the person that you don't like because they don't vote the same way that you do, the person that you don't like because they don't look the same way that you look. They don't talk the same way you talk, right? Uh, you know, the, the people over here that do this or whatever the Louisville fans do, you know, like I just <laughs> kid, right? But we have all these people that we just don't, we don't care. And Jonah is sitting there and he's like, man, I'm more upset about this plant than the soul of this human being. And God says, should I not have concern for Nineveh? And I think God would look at you and me and say, should I, because you don't like them because you know so much, right? Should I not have concern for these people? For those people? And that's such an ugly term, but we all have those people, right? Well, I love this story is we could talk about endlessly about a fish. The fish doesn't even matter. The fish, it's the, the smallest detail of this story. This is a story about what lurks in our hearts. It's a story that asks some tough questions. Can you love those whom God loves even if you don't like them? Even if they are your perceived enemy? Can you do this? Are you willing, am I willing to answer the call of God in my life? And don't forget, before you're, you're too judgy, all right, before you get on your high horse, don't forget that we, the Bible is clear, we were all sinners. We were all wrong. We, we all, me included, 
we're the worst person that we know. And God still loved us. Should God not be concerned for them as well? You know, I I think the scariest part of this story for me now is not a fish that might swallow me, although that's still a little weird. But I think the scariest part of this story for me now is knowing exactly what God may ask of me. To love those who are hard to love. To love those who are my perceived enemy. And not only to love them, but to be excited for them because God loves them too. Let's pray.